Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When I first experienced Andy Gaudi Vinco's book, Sorry I Gave Birth, I Disappeared But Now I'm Back, it was a revelation. It felt like she captured so much of the bliss, contradiction and turmoil that I had recently experienced in early motherhood and the struggle to hold on to yourself while mothering. While the book itself is radical, both in its theme, visuality and format, what is most fascinating is watching and participating in the conversations it unravels, both from Andy herself when she presents the work, but also this visceral effect it has on viewers, which was Andy's guiding principle from the moment she started making the work. This idea came really quick and it came with the idea of a book from the beginning. I never thought of this project as single images. I always thought of it as a book that could kind of be like a Bible that you could pass along to your friends. I'm Jen Fletcher and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Andy Gaudi-Vinco is an internationally acclaimed artist based in Hungary. Her work draws visual analogies between intensely personal and intimate experiences of motherhood, womanhood, as well as universal experiences of coming of age, aging and loss. Andy is a widely exhibited artist throughout Europe and in 2022 she published her first book with Trolley Books. Sorry I gave birth, I disappeared but now I'm back. The incredible book recently won the 2023 Krasnokraus Book Award and this podcast starts with us talking about this recent accomplishment and what it means for the subject matter of motherhood and for Andy's career at large. For me, it was so special that you won that award for many reasons. Obviously, I was happy for you. I know what you've done to make that body of work and and all of the stuff which I'm sure we'll unpack when we chat. But also, I feel like when those moments happen in the industry, it renews my cynicism that nothing will change. The fact that a book like yours will be awarded a prize like that is is proof to me, the, the very proof that I need to know that things can move forward. Because, you know, that topic... The topic of motherhood is just so dismissed and has been forever dismissed, really. And even though we're seeing a bit of a movement at the moment in the culture and specifically in the photo industry, we're seeing a lot of stories and a lot of photographers focusing on this, which is great, but it's never enough, right? It's not the dominant thing. So it's just great to see sort of the institution of the photo industry support work like that. You know, what's really interesting is that... A lot of people have been saying the same thing as you, that like even, for example, when it was out on Instagram and everywhere, when people shared it, so many people shared it with like, so proud of the judges or finally. So it was a lot of reaction that was about the book, but mainly about how good that a book like this could win a prize like this. Yeah. And that also is really good because it it made me feel special in that sense. Totally. I thought back now that you're saying all of the things when we planned the book with Hannah um, Trolley Books and Emma who did the design I had this like 
I had this idea that if we do, I wanted a book that's small and that fits in a woman's purse, but I also wanted a big, you know, like male photographer cover, Mm -hmm. something that like sits big, like a big book. And so I had this idea of like an unfoldable cover or something. And both Hannah and um, Emma were like, okay, you want too much, just calm down. And now (laughs) winning this prize means to me that you don't need a big book to be able to have your book recognized yeah like it doesn't have to be like the big glossy cover I don't apply very often to competitions but I always am afraid of what I should what and I always think of like what would be the image that would please a person and and it's the same if you think about it it's the same like now I've made this book which has a lot of images but the ones that get exhibited the ones that are chosen for Instagram the ones that are like selected for magazine interviews and articles are usually always the same mm-hmm. and there's a there's a lot of other ones that I know people love but they just never pick it so mm. that's why winning a book award is so much bigger than somehow than just I don't know having one image chosen for an award or like a competition it's like it's the recognition of the sequence of the images you know yeah that's quite an interesting point to unpack really because this book is quite rebellious in many different ways which I love but one of the main reasons that I think it is quite rebellious is this sort of divergent approach you have to how you made the images there there's a lot of different styles in in the book you know and there's always this assumption of like a photo book needs to be neat and tidy it needs to be all this consistent style and have a beginning middle and end whereas you've sort of absolutely shattered all of those ideas and I remember when I first started encountering the pictures it probably was on social media to be honest as sort of the build-up to the book launch was happening and I was like so fascinated that like I remember the cover and then seeing other images which were like such raw sort of observational moments that you just really walk the gamut with your approach to this which feels so obviously it makes so much sense with the subject matter it just felt I don't know as an artist it felt so rebellious I don't know if that was in your consciousness in any way it was conscious I, I'm not I'm not usually like I'm, I don't create work knowing what exactly I will be doing but I just do things and as I as I get into the process towards the end I kind of see like I kind of make a list of missing things and when I was making this insane missing list of things that were still missing from the topic of motherhood I saw that there were so many different ways that I photographed it that I really wanted to also um, have that as part of the book that some moments and, and, and it all comes back to like mothering and this experience that some moments are very structured and you're you're you have this for example, I had this insane OCD, which I never had before. So even in the images, I wanted to capture that and have that. And those stand for the more like, I would say, staged photos or organized photos. Then some, I really wanted them to have this like universal memory. So it's not even, for example, the one with the fingers and the raspberry. It's not, I made this photo because it's my memory of my childhood. And I wanted things that stood for like a universal memory of childhood or something. And I had the big chaos, which is the whole recon- like the realization of how much everything changes in your life, your your persona, 
the shifting identity, your body, everything. And that that are all those like almost like snapshot type documentary, sometimes even taken with my iPhone, but mainly shot on film photos. And so for me, this was really important to have this whole mess. And yes, it was, I didn't know how it would work in a sequence of images in a book. And if, if it, if, yes, you're, we're used to seeing like, nice similar type of photos in one book and then you know it's either black and white or it's with a yellow shade or if with like sunset shade or there's all these like different types of like images and for me it was a big question of how to do it but I guess the moment I laid out the images that I had it wasn't a question anymore because I knew I didn't want a book with a beginning and an end because it's not, I mean, it starts with the beginning because you give birth, but there's no end to it. Mm-hmm. And every problem that seems very big in the beginning becomes very irrelevant with time and constantly new challenges just come to your face. So I wanted a book. And for me, I've always looked at books for some reason, I guess, because I'm both handed. I've always looked from the back. I always flip books from the back. And if I like it, then I stop and I look at it in the order that they want me to look at it. So for me, it was really, really important to have a book that you can start from the back, but you can open in the middle and wherever you open it, actually, it stands for 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 the, the message of it, that you're not alone. Like everyone goes through it. We all come from a mother. We all have siblings or, you know, like it's not just about motherhood. It's about this whole chaos of what you go through in the first I would say first two years of a new baby around you. So it was interesting when you were saying before about how you kind of made a list. When did you know you had to make this project? Because I feel like it's really interesting with projects like this, because sometimes they're born out of necessity in the, it's what you have available when you've got a new baby is to think about ideas around that experience. Was that kind of how it came about or did you, or did you always have an intention to make a project about your experience of becoming a mother, even when you were pregnant? The first images are from when I became pregnant, but you're right about this necessity. So I didn't, I didn't think of making a book about motherhood until I became a mother myself. So I never, I never envisioned what it would be like. And, and, and I guess I knew about some of the work that was made about this topic, but I didn't pay attention because I didn't feel like I needed to. So what happened is when I, when this whole thing hit me, I started looking for references and I couldn't really find my references. I couldn't really find a lot. So I knew about Susan Bright's big exhibition. I bought the book, the catalog, obviously, because I live in Hungary. I haven't seen the exhibition back in the time, but I got the book and I... I, I flipped through it and I remembered and I knew all of this like famous series of Renica Dijkstra or um, Elena Brothers, which hit me more than it did at the time. And I guess it's because when I studied at an art school or when I when I saw them, I didn't I didn't know what it meant. Hmm. You know, it's just like, for example, um, the Annunciation series. Now it really hit me because I. I have a child, so I can, it, it, I can imagine how it must be when you really want one and you can't have one. So suddenly it hit me more than before. And so I really struggled with my references because the, 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 the issues that I came to 
and the, the problems that I was facing were more about like the, the everyday and just like the repetition of it and those struggles of like the breastfeeding and the, the cleaning and the chores and, and, and the division between my partner and me and how much one person has to take on and, 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 and just losing myself as the person that I was that I guess was always a little bit more, you know, like focused on myself. <laughs> and mm. losing that is really interesting. And and I started doing these Google searches for like the regular things that every parent does, like, you know, the rash or like the, I don't know, is this, is this enough sleep? Is this enough uh, food? Is this enough? All these, like, is this normal? The questions mm-hmm. that, tar- that start with, is this normal? And whenever I would type that in, Google would give me these answers that were my questions. You know how like the pop-up mm-hmm. window, like that's... <laughs> And then it just, it just gave me already. And I was like, okay, so it does exist. Like these questions are not only mine, they're everyone's questions. And, and, and we all feel like we're the only ones who can do it. So then I'm going to do a project about how everything is normal and it's okay. You're not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who can't do it. So it came, this, this idea came really quick and it, and it came with the idea of a book from the beginning. So I know that's really interesting. Yeah, I never thought of this project as as single images. I always thought of it as a book that could kind of be like a Bible that you could pass along to your friends. That was my. Oh my god, I love that so much. <laughs> I'm very visual. I, my all my references are movies, um, statues, sculpture. You know, like all the things around me, mm-hmm. even nature and everything. And and I there's all these books written about motherhood. But I couldn't, first of all, I got lost. I didn't know which one to read. Some of them were contradictory. And also I didn't have time to read because I didn't, before I got, so until nine months pregnant, I was shooting, I was traveling, I was doing things. I was, I was doing a lot of commission jobs. That was the time for me when finally all the, the, the free portfolio building work started paying off. And I was, I actually was flying back from LA to, through London to Paris to come back to Budapest just to like say hello to my partner at the time and on the on the last stop I was like oh I didn't I didn't get my period in a long time should I should I get a and I I got a test and so I didn't you know I I didn't I didn't plan on having children it just happened Hmm. and um and I didn't I, I didn't anticipate everything I didn't prepare I didn't read the books in advance because I in my head it was like you know like I can do everything I can do this too I'm I'm fine I'm gonna I'm in my early I'm in my early 30s I want to have children so obviously I'm gonna keep but I'm, I'm just gonna do it fine and the pregnancy was really good but then what happened after I was totally unprepared and I felt like I felt like the books that I could have read at the time I didn't have the time to read them anymore because I had the baby in my in my arm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what I thought about making this book was just a book with images that can make you smile, that can make you that can bring memories back if you're over that phase, that can make you feel um as I said that you're not alone, that can make you feel just chilled about your own situation and that that was the drive and it was never the drive was never like the artistic drive that was before or that is now again. So now that I'm coming back as an artist, um, obviously my next project and everything is more driven from this like self-expression and, and um, you know, like leaving a trace of me somehow. Mm-hmm. But this one, I never, 
I never considered any of this. It just, it just came out of this, like, yeah. And also, as you said, or as you mentioned, but we didn't dig into deeper. It was also a necessity for me to like keep track and, and have a proof of what I've done daily. So like, kind of like my personal notes were like how many pacifiers I've cleaned that day, you know, because then I could say that I've done something or like mm. how many diapers I've changed. Cause in the first few months, it's for me, it was really, it was really shocking how like I couldn't keep track of nights and days and I couldn't keep track of what I've done. And, and when my friends would come by and they would be like, Oh, what have you done all day? And I'd be like, well, literally nothing. Nothing. But at the same time, you're like a full-time domestic laborer exactly (laughs) keeping someone alive yeah I guess this is what the book kind of unravels perfectly is this sort of contradictory experience of motherhood that it is like joyful and life-changing and life-crushing and full of labor like it's all the things like it's it's I, I don't even like saying that to be honest because I think using words to describe my experience anyway it's just kind of void like I can't reach for it no matter I, I could throw a hundred words at you and I still wouldn't be able to really articulate what it was <laughs> and what yeah. it continues to be but it, it's it's one of those things that I was thinking of when I was thinking about talking to you today I was thinking about and I I find this quite funny but it is actually very painful at the same time but we don't have enough sensitivity in in our verbal language to kind of encapsulate what this is in my opinion and also I feel like culturally like there's not everybody wants to talk about this there's obviously a huge part of like dismissing this experience and reducing this experience but also I find that other people even going through this experience don't want to talk about it for a myriad of different reasons. Like they want to compartmentalize that part of their life and maybe sort of focus on them. I don't know. Yeah. I found so many different experiences to it, but it's interesting. I think that you spend like literally 10 minutes as a mother and you realize that no matter kind of where your feminism was at before (laughs) and your awareness of like the patriarchy, you realize it's a bit like a computer game. You you have a baby and you're like, oh, I've leveled up into a new level of patriarchal hellscape that I didn't (laughs) even know existed. And the the key was having this baby. That was what unlocked it. And it's like, it is funny. It is, you kind of have to laugh about it in some ways, but it's also like horrifying. And that, that was one of the things that I feel like when I've heard you talk about the work and the book definitely communicates it, but I feel like a big part of this, like coming back to your motivation about why you made the book almost like as this community offering, the way you talk about the book is so powerful and you like really get into it. You really share your own experiences. You really ask difficult questions, which I absolutely love because it feels like it really is interrogating that patriarchal hellscape that we've got access to. And I guess like my question after all of that is (laughs) how has being a mother entrenched you more in your own feminism? Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, my next project is about the clitoris. So that's how much. I love this. We've got to talk about this. Yeah. I thought about doing a project on menopause and, um, because obviously it's the next phase and mm-hmm. and and it's a big taboo so I really yeah I just feel like but then I was like mm, what is the menopause compared to the clitoris you know if you can talk <laughs> about the bigger <laughs> another bible that I'm planning to do is the clitoris <laughs> but, but I mean it's just yeah it's um it's insane how much um 
you know, I, I remember a friend of mine who had children a few years before me and I asked her just like that, you know, like, uh, what, what is it that you think is the most empowering thing about motherhood? And I remember she said being vulnerable. And I thought to myself, oh my God, that's so cliche, mm -hmm. but it's actually not because it's, it really is, you, you become so vulnerable and so fragile and, and so dependent on other people. And it's just, it's, yeah, it, it taught me a whole new level of patience, a whole new level of acceptance, and even towards myself in a way. And yeah, I've never been patient. And now I know, I know that there are things that I need to say a million times and they tell, they still don't get through, you know, like, mm. so why would anyone else understand what I say for the first time if my own children don't understand that? Yeah, I guess like to answer to your question, it made me way more feminist and way more strong opinionated in in how things should be and would be in an ideal world. What was it like to turn your camera on your family and friends and yourself and your loved ones? Because that's an interesting aspect of this book as well. Yeah, I've never done that before. So all my previous projects were kind of like my personal thoughts, but but I, it was always my friends and my surrounding, but never myself and never my family. I have a project that I've been doing with my mom for like the last 10 years. But every time I want to publish it, she decides that I can't. So I guess it will, it will be a long time until she gets acquainted with the idea of, of, of getting old because it's about this like changing. She's She just turned 70. So we started doing it when she was in her late 50s and and um and every time that she sees it she's like oh no i don't want i don't want people to know it so there are a few images of it that i've already showed but the majority of it is still hidden and i don't know if i will ever show it because i would never do that behind her or, or against her will but apart from that i've never really turned the camera towards myself and my family and here in this project it wasn't it wasn't the question because because whenever something happened in the first place it was me and my kids and what changed really is that I I realized quite early on that I can't do everything I want the way I want with only myself and that's when my friends started entering so the majority of the book is actually not me and not my my kids and not my skin and not my arms you know but like that really helps because I feel like it's on lived motherhood and it's my personal experience but I'm not I'm not that vulnerable, actually. I'm way more tricky than that. So I don't feel, I don't feel, and, and my friends feel really good too because because everyone thinks it's me. So they feel fine. Mm -hmm. It's big weird. It's all my feminist friends and me being feminist and everyone being body positive. But then at the same time, everyone feels safe because no one knows who whose body is shown and what's happening and so it's it's that it's a weird it's an interesting thing to see how uh conscious we are of our own image even though we try to be very you know like open-minded that is really interesting how was the book received in hungary so to be honest the first time that it was published it was maybe like 2019 or 18 no 2019 so before the book there was a few images that were published in the local online newspaper because there's no more newspapers in Hungary like the politics it's so corrupt there's no more printed magazines in Hungary so there's like two online ones that 
the liberal thinking people read. And in one of them, there was an article and, and it got so attacked. It was like, I mean, there were, it was insane amount of comments and insane amount of shares and a lot of very positive. And I didn't have to go on and defend myself because if there was a negative comment, there would be, I don't know, 10 positive but it really blew the internet because so many people, for example, that image of um, my underwear and actually that's my daughter looking up, which is the toilet scene mm-hmm. and the old me time. That image, for example, was really, really attacked. And a lot of people were like, obviously she's a, oh my God, it was so sad. It was like, obviously she's a low key single mother and um, her life is miserable. So let's not treat her bad. It's just she should go to a therapy instead of creating art. You know, like that was the that was the general attitude. And oh. I mean, you know, it's like some other person was like, I mean, this is a Victoria's Secret underwear. I don't think she <laughs> the comments were really funny. <laughs> and then and then a lot of people started sending me similar selfies with them sitting on the bathroom and being like, We're on your side. We know that's so know cool. So I have, I actually, I could make a little book of selfies taken from different mothers on the bathroom, the kids on their laps and everything. So it really divided people. And as you said, like this systemic taboo, kind of like denial, motherhood is the best thing that can happen to you and don't show the bad parts of it. Or I don't even know what you're talking about. And the other, the other part was the, this isn't, this is nothing compared to the reality of it. And so I think I think that was that was an interesting reaction. And also looking back, what's really interesting is that no one reacted to the photography of it. They just reacted to the theme. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I talked to to Haley one day, who's who's also done uh, books on like body issues and we met through Hannah and she told me one time, like, if you do a book, it it has to be. I don't know, she said something really sweet. She said something like, it has to be 60% photography and 40% of theme. And and I had that in, in everywhere else apart from Hungary. So in France, in London, in in even like in, in German in Germany, and it was published in Zeit magazine and everywhere they talked about the images and and only a little bit about motherhood because I guess that's more universal you know like the way motherhood today is is perceived is more universal and in in Hungary what was really shocking is that it was 60 percent or 70 percent of what the 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 theme is and only 30 percent of the actual images it feels like the success of it which was kind of what you wanted has been about this community that it's sort of building of like not just industry people but just other parents other people who are interested in these experiences like that feels like it's probably one of the biggest successes of the book is this community that it sort of fostered but also for me the biggest success is that really the photo word resonates to it so that there Mm -hmm. it's that the images work and it's not just so a lot of people who don't have children or who are not parents are also really open to it and see not only the importance of it, but also the quality of the images. And that's, for me, the real success, which I haven't anticipated, like I haven't thought of it this way before. Do you feel like the book has helped validate yourself as an artist? Because I feel like one of the things that, you know, we all battle with is like imposter syndrome within this space and feeling like, you know, we belong here and, and our work has value. Did the book change anything in that context for you? Yeah, 
I mean, it, yes, definitely. And I think just as much as talking about like women's issues and and just thinking, talking about the art word is such a taboo thing. Mm-hmm. Like no one really tells you how to build that, how to build it, how to how to navigate, what to say, who to approach, how to do it. Like it's just so complicated and so many like myths and lies and taboos around it. And um, and somehow this book allows me to like, you know, to have this like, I don't know, I have this huge smile now on my face as I speak. And it, it just stands for like, I, I can put this mask on and be like, oh, I'm, you know, I've just come back from mothering. I don't know, you know, like this, this kind <laughs> of like attitude. And it's funny because I, I never meant to have this, but it's, I mean, it, it definitely opened doors. I feel like I know so many more people than before. So the title is Sorry I Give Birth, I Disappeared, But Now I'm Back. And when I meant I'm back, I didn't originally, I didn't mean back to the art world. I meant back to doing commission jobs. You know, I did art school. I did everything the way it was supposed to do or be, building the free portfolio, doing free shoots, blah, blah, blah. And then somehow it starts paying off and then you start doing bigger commission jobs. The more it gets into your style and the more they hire you for who you are and not just because you're the friend of someone. And so as this was happening, I became pregnant and I've done this to support my own personal work. So I've never, I never depended on selling prints or, or, or doing exhibitions and stuff like that. I've always worked as a commission photographer to do my freelance and my, my personal projects. And during motherhood, I realized that I, I can't do both. I can't do commission jobs and do my personal works and raise my children because that's just too much. Mm. And and so what am I going to live off? How am I going to be able to do this? And and the commission word wasn't open at all to get me back because I was a mother. So it would be more complicated to hire me and also bring my child along because I'm breastfeeding. So I had a shoot in Lagos and I, I should have gotten the vaccine and I was still breastfeeding and I you know, I was hesitating. I was like, oh, can you, can I call you back? Because I, w- I would really love to shoot, but I'm not sure I can do it because blah, blah, blah. And when I called them back an hour later, I've already lost a the job. They've offered it to someone because obviously they had to make a selection or to make, to, to pick someone. And I became the more complicated one. And I had another shoot in London and it was so complicated because during the shoot, I had to constantly like pump. And so I, even if I had a few options as a as a commission photographer, it, it was just so complicated and 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 somehow, you know, like every time I, I would meet an art director or a friend of mine working at an agency, they would be like, Oh, yes, I didn't know you were working already. And I was like, I mean, you know, like why would I not be working already? Mm-hmm. And so when I that sentence, I'm back, for me in the beginning it meant the like the commission word but what I realized is that the art word was way more open to take me back somehow so I am now part of this like yeah like this crew of photographers and everyone is so nice and people are just just open to talk about things and and it's really interesting because I don't think I had such a big community as I have now mainly because of 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 my work I think so people now like me for my work and not because they've they've known me from before and that's really interesting and I don't know if that that's any 
news that I'm saying, but for me, it definitely is because I'm I'm juggling, I'm balancing from like, I live in Hungary and then I fly to London or Paris or something and I have dedicated days to spend with the people that I love and that I've met and that I became friends with in the past year also, but also friends that I had from, from, from before changing my whole life and becoming a mother. And it's just, it's, it's interesting because, you know, like there's so many things that I, I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to say this, but for example, I've talked with a friend recently and, and this friend of mine was like, you must be doing so well now. And I was like, I'm not like, I'm totally broke. And this person was like, yeah, but you just won this huge award. And I'm sure like money is coming in now. And I was like, no, there's nothing coming in. I mean, it might look like my life is brilliant and things are happening and I have a lot of friends, but I'm still just as much of a broken artist as anyone is in this industry. And I'm struggling and I still need to do commission jobs to pay my art. I just don't have time for it. Yeah, it's such a great point and something we don't talk about enough. I've been writing a lot about, I need to talk to you about it actually, I've been writing a lot about survival strategies of photographers and artists and like what they do to survive because it's absolutely imperative. Like the industry doesn't enable you, unless you have like an abundance of time or your own generational wealth, (laughs) like the industry doesn't sort of, it just isn't set up to be financially stable. And it's funny, isn't it? Like the 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 way that lands on the outside when, you know, to people who aren't in the industry, when you're like winning these prestigious prizes and being exhibited in places, but actually you can still be really struggling. And I know so many artists through having these conversations about survival strategies who, you know, some of the biggest names in the industry and they've got their work is in museum collections all over the world, but like, they're still struggling to pay their mortgage because it's just the unpredictability and the the way that the industry works in terms of fees and what you have to do and what you have to invest and all of that stuff. Like it is such an important thing to talk about, but obviously very important in the context of parenthood as well, which is something that we don't talk about being like working mothers and artists or fathers and artists. Exactly. And for me, that's, that's really like again, it's a shifting persona and identity that I have that before, if I would make a little bit of money, I would invest in a new camera or buy film, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, okay, how much money do I have left after paying my child's swimming class, you know, to, mm-hmm. to buy films? And so it's a very different, but then the but then I have to go to Arles, I have to go to Paris to be present. So it's a little bit of traveling. It's a little bit of flight cost. It's staying somewhere, eating out. How much can, can I, can I, do I have enough money for an Uber to get home or do I have to walk home, you know? And like, mm. and it's, it's things that I've, I've, I, I love doing now and I love being away, but it's always a constant calculation of what I can afford and what I can. And starting a new project again is like, how do I get the money from? What am I going to do? Should I do like, should I do a limited print sale of my work or am I too big of an artist to do it now? I can't do it anymore because now I'm supposed to be like an award-winning artist, you know? So what can I do? Can I still, can I still be the one who posts on, on, on Instagram something like, oh, I'm so broke, I need money, can you buy my prints? Or should I be pretending that I'm, you know, like no one tells you that no one no one gives you advice on that and and I feel like what's changed a lot is that I now know people who 
who talk about the same issues and at least together we can plan and at least together we can talk about things and and I don't feel alone anymore because I know other people go through the same thing and we're just not supposed to talk about it. I also think a lot of the people trying to uphold those ways of the the way that industry should be, the way that these codes of behavior of what you're allowed and not allowed to do, the people who are upholding that often are the people who don't have any financial worries, which is why it's so problematic. But also, you know, what I discover is that I don't know who's upholding it because whoever I talk to, they're like, for example, like someone told me you should never approach galleries. Mm-hmm. And now I talk to a few people and they're like, who told you that? You could totally approach it. And for example, this person is like a curator in a museum and just like, I would love people if they send me their, I mean, that's what my work is. You should send me work so I can look at new work. That's mm-hmm. how I can, but no one sends me work. Is it because they've been, you've been told not to send work? I'm like, yeah. I mean, everyone told us not to, you're not allowed to send your portfolio to like a curator just like that out of the blue because it's unsolicited, you know? You're not allowed to send your, you're not allowed to like knock on a gallery's door and be like, oh, would you represent me? Mm-hmm. And how else would you be represented? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't have a gallery representation just in Hungary, but I would, you know, like, What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, a big part of the reason that I mentor people is to myth bust stuff like this. And even when I tell people stuff like this, I think there's so much counter conversation in the industry. It doesn't always land. But it's interesting to see the people that it does land with and then what what's happening to them in six months time or 12 months time because they have sort of been released from some of those ways of being or the ways of codes of behavior that they've been told to do and like suddenly things are happening for them because they're actually reaching out they're actually doing that and it's funny because all of the people that I know who do very well who people kind of put under this bracket of like overnight success yes they're talented but absolutely it's because they were super proactive at networking And like didn't hold back and just like almost were, Tyler Mitchell has a great word for this, ruthlessly prolific is how he describes it. And it's so true, like it does make a difference, like being the person who's reaching out. Obviously not all curators, not all editors want that, but a lot of them do. You know, it's funny you mentioned Tyler because I, um, so back in 2014, there was this big article that Ashley Kane wrote and it was like the New York photographers reigning supreme or something big title mm-hmm. and it was um it was Tyler I think Petra Collins and me it was like our names on oh one my page. god that's and then like a year later I became pregnant you know, like, and I like lost track of everything and obviously like so when I for me when I referenced to like what I could and you know it's again it's like an imaginative word I don't know I don't know if I would have ever made as big as he is I, I don't know, but that's what I think like to myself, you know, like I sometimes think like if I didn't earn the beginning of, of me being alone and, and, and doing this book. And I mean, it's, it's seven, six years in the making the book because I, I became pregnant in 2016. So like from 2016 to 2022, until the book was published, I didn't see the light, you know, I was at home in Hungary and changing diapers and my Instagram was full with Tyler Mitchell and Petra Collins and I don't know who the other photographers were but they career rose in those six years or and mine was like shot under like the you know the bag of diapers and so when mainly thanks to that exhibition that was in TJ Bolting and Charlotte and Hannah I had the book out it just became like okay so there is another door 
that I can open. It's not the one that I was supposed to enter in, but it's another, it's a back door and I'm coming back from the back door. You know? But maybe, maybe it was the way I, I like, this is my like hippie esoteric version of me that you haven't met yet, but maybe like it, <laughs> this was the way you were meant to do it. And maybe this is actually your moment. I feel like working with artists and I, I do this myself, like we have all these preconceptions of the way we thought it would be. And it's even worse when someone in the industry like sort of reinforces that in a way, because I'm sure that article <laughs> at the time was like fantastic, but now it's like a painful like scab thinking about it. I kind of, I get like now looking back, I find it really funny because I even, even changed my Instagram name since. So when you go on that article, you can't even find me anymore because it was a different Instagram name. And that's how unprofessional I was compared to, it was just, yeah, it was just a talented young photographer who had something and Ashley liked my work. So she would put me in an article with like names that at the time were nobodies either. Mm -hmm. The thing is we were nobodies. We were just people that Ashley liked, you know? Yeah. And what's interesting is that, as you say, like maybe that wasn't my door this is my door this is my time but for those six years that I was like hidden it really felt like like no one's ever gonna I'm never gonna make it and that feeling of I'm never gonna make it I'm never gonna forget it Mm -hmm. I'm never going to forget it and even when everyone says hi to me and people introduce me and 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 you know I can't I can't act like I'm somebody because I'm actually nobody I'm just, you know, this person who did a book on motherhood and I don't know if my next project's going to be good. Yeah, but that's how we all feel. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is another annoying thing that I have beef with. The fact that I'm about to do what I'm going to do, but I feel like I almost need to caveat and should have done this at the beginning and maybe I will in the intro, but like caveat the fact that we're actually two people who really enjoy our kids like we just want to talk about the complexity of that I feel like there's a lot of like stigma that you can't say anything negative about parenthood or motherhood without like having to actually say yeah but I really like it I understand I opt I I definitely opted into it like I had to because it wouldn't have happened naturally (laughs) like and I and I like actually having a kid for me has been like super generative in terms of my work and the way I see the world and all of these different things that I have a lot of gratitude for but it's just is important for me I think to be having these conversations about the elements of it which remain unseen or un- undervalued by society and kind of how that impacts on our lives I think is really important but like it annoys me the way that I have to caveat that that I can't yeah. just have a conversation with you <laughs> do you know what I mean like it's annoying but I almost feel like that is also important to say as well so I'm doing this survival strategy series and it basically is just like a series of the same questions I ask all different artists and photographers but it's about like what were the early days like for you professionally how did you financially support your practice like did you have any emotional or physical like survival strategies that helped you get through and it's been so fascinating the things that have come up Mm, I can imagine and it's actually a really good thing to put together yeah, it's for me, it's really soothing. Like, I find it like, oh, we're all in this chaos together. And that's the thing that I think people don't necessarily pay attention to. I'm actually really pro doing this. You know, it's like when I talked about these questions and this, this self-aware, like things of like, what are you supposed to say? And no, I don't know. And I'm, of course, worried about, you know, ruining because now things are going so well for me. So I don't want to ruin it. 
you know so you're worried about ruining things but also I would love I would love if my um I had a at photo London Jeremy and Francis gave a talk before me and he said some things like yeah let's cut the bullshit and after we talked at the photographers gallery event and we're like I went up to him and I was like I mean I just I would love if people stop the bullshit and we start talking about like how do you finance your projects and how do you do things and he was really open to having this conversation too so I think I think the word our word is ready mm-hmm to do it it's just someone needs to start it because until everyone is doing it no one's really going to be honest about it mm-hmm. and, you know like this friend of mine he he was like I was like can I just say like can I put out something on Instagram and be like I really need money and um, my other good friend who I also asked the same thing she was like no but we can come up with an idea and we could do something and blah 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 and I didn't know you know like I can't tell what I'm allowed to do but mm-hmm. if everyone started doing it together and we would just be honest about how hard it is and also I don't understand like you know my friends the majority of my friends they can't afford the price that the gallery sets yeah it's wild even if they wanted to support me they can't so I have to wait for like those people who somehow believe that I'm a person who's who's important to invest in. And because now it's happening, because now people start thinking that I'm someone that they should invest in, then I have to be even more cautious of what I'm doing. It's just so complicated. It's just so important to talk about how we survive because it's really hard. <laughs> it's insanely hard. And it's it's it, it, people make it look like magic. And then you you are in your thing and you're just like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Like, you know, and that's, it's the same. If you think about it, it's the same as my motivation for doing the motherhood book. What am I doing wrong? Why am I not there when I should be there? You touched upon this before about the new bodies of work that you're making. And one of those is about climate anxiety for parents. And it's such a personal topic for me. I was really curious to hear about your motivations in making the work and sort of how you went about creating those photographs. I've been working on it for like the past, I would say, two years. And it's mainly evolving, similar to the the motherhood book, to conversations that I'm having with my daughter, who just turned six. And so as the word opens up to her, and as she starts understanding things that I've been, I I try to raise uh, children that are conscious of her nature. And I try to like, you know, like we don't, we don't, we don't get this trough if it's made out of plastic. We refuse to buy toys that you would use for a second and you would throw them away. And whenever these things come up, I always try to explain why. And so in her head, for example, in the beginning, it was like, oh, you can't get the straw because then you would kill the whales. There's no, no real connection, but in her head, that's how it explained. Or if she would want a little toy, but like I can explain, oh, this is not a very important toy. You can go past it because this um, pollutes the earth and if we if we um how do you say that in english like you you keep buying then you you make the people keep producing it you Mm -hmm. fuel this so that's what i try to explain to her and as she grows and as she understands more she starts asking questions and i don't have the answers to these questions and that's how i realized that it's actually a really important topic that, again, is not really discussed because 
because we don't really talk about how hard it is for parents to actually navigate between between this 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 dream and this like fear of the the earth as we knew it ceases to exist so you want to show as much of it as you as you can to your children so it's kind of like a desperate tourism of like let's go see the last remaining corals let's go i don't know eat mangoes and raspberries and things that normally you're not able to eat anymore and let's also go see the whales because who knows if they will be alive and so all of this mixed with the feeling of teaching your children how to be how to be i don't know adaptable versatile what what should i teach them like you know i was taught how to play the piano and how to ski I don't know if those are going to be important in 10 years, you know, maybe it's more important that you can grow your own vegetable or you can, you know, you can, I don't know, you can kill someone if you need to, which I don't want to have as a conversation, but I don't know. Are they going to, are they going to be wars? Are they, is the word really as bad as it seems to be? Or, and also it's this mix and I'm, I'm now really confusing in what I'm saying, but like, you know, I'm like, preparing dinner they're drawing in their corner and suddenly like i have a notification on my phone about the white fires in hawaii or like anything that comes up in the news and and it really comes into my my personal aura and i don't know how to deal with it and we had this very strange moment when um we were having dinner and on my phone i've stopped the notification since because that was so shocking that that photo came up of the of the little kid who in the in the earthquake in Turkey was that, that little girl who was defending her brother. I don't know if you've seen mm. that. And it, it came up in the news. And I, I was so shocked. I showed it to my partner. I was like, oh, look. And he looked at me and he was like, why are you showing me this? And I was like, I don't know. It just came up. It's so horrifying. And my daughter, who was like five at the time, she was like, what are you looking at? And automatically, I I don't know why. I wanted to show the image. But my, my husband took my hand and was like, are you silly? Are you going to show this? And so we had this like really weird conversation. And, uh, and, and Dana, my daughter was like, I really want to see it. And, and so my partner decided to, to say what's on the image instead of showing it. So he kind of like explained that it was an image of this little girl who was protecting her little brother. And the little girl is your age and the little brother is your sister's age. And they were in, an, in a huge earthquake. And this is how they survived because she was protecting her little sibling. And that was about a year ago. I don't know. And Dana still keeps asking me for that image, you know, and she still mm. thinks about it. And she's like, oh, it got engraved in my head. And I was like, well, it didn't really because you never saw the image, but I know what you mean. So yeah, so I guess like for me, what's really interesting, it's this anxiety of not knowing how to raise them like what are what are the things again same as everything we talked about today like what am I supposed to say to the questions that I myself don't know the answers to yeah that you're grappling with Uh, exactly and plus it's like you know you want to stay positive but also prepare them but also you don't know what you're preparing them for her question is if you knew it why didn't you do anything Mm-hmm. And I mean, with my little means, I'm trying because I'm creating art about it. I don't know if I will reach anyone and I didn't know if it will actually make a difference. Because I mean, if like Greta didn't do a difference, then who would, you know, like, but also like, it's really hard and and and, and she's growing and she's she's aware more and more of things. But also, I don't want to ruin her childhood by... yeah. It's such a difficult, 
it's, it's just an impossible situation. But I think all you can kind of do is have the conversations, right? Because not having them, whether they, you know, see something flash up on your phone or just as they get older, they start to realize that, you know, the climate has changed compared to a few years ago. Children are so astute on things like that, whether they see them, you know, in a more environmental way or they see them through the media. Like, I feel like, you know, conversations around this with our kids is going to become a really dominant part of our lives. And it is a really difficult a really difficult one to navigate. Um, But one of the things, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I wrote an essay for Foam recently about the visuality of the climate crisis and and how photography is being used. And I feel like one of the big things I was talking about in that is how, you know, these tropes of climate imagery of like, you know, the polar bear standing on the melting ice cap or even just the images of the wildfires like they just we're just desensitized to them now and we need different ways of storytelling around this that cut through I don't know these filters of like I don't know we need we need to sort of attack our senses and our emotions in different ways and I feel like this project really does that because it's just it's kind of it builds upon some of the ideas and themes and sort of the visual language of your practice for sure. But I feel like you push into a slightly new space with this. Like it feels very collaborative with your daughter as well. Right. Mm, Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, we do, it's her and then, and another friend of mine called him and he draws, I mean, he, he like, he sometimes writes down the questions of Dana and we had one really good session um, together. So all these, all these are like unique pieces because it's like I would print out a photo then we would cut one out and we would do a collage and then someone would write on it and it's like very it's very handmade and very collaborative in the sense that we don't really I have the topics in my mind so I know like the polar bear standing on the ice but then how it is going to become a piece of work is very intuitive and then my daughter would hold that little piece of white paper which is the last remaining so it's kind of like she she plays out the stories that I tell her mm. and that's how it becomes a photograph but then part of it is also just like a photo of mine with one of her sentences and then it's written on it and I really want to I've for, for my um for my motherhood series um when it's in exhibitions um I started doing neons so the some of the texts because in the book there's a lot of handwritten texts for the things that I actually couldn't photograph. So the thoughts on motherhood that were that remained unphotographable, even though I had that list of things that were still missing. Some of them were like just just thoughts, and those were handwritten, and I've I've put them all around the book. And those in the exhibitions, I made neons of them, and it's, it works really well with the images. So there's like a hierarchy of images in the motherhood book about the, the little images that will never become the big sellable images, the ones that are the sellable images that become framed and kind of like the canonized images. And there's like handwritten notes that become neon. And and they, they were the ones that were the smallest, less important because they're just a person's thoughts. They become the most expensive neon signs, you know, like universal knowledge. And I've kind of like transplanted this into the new project. So the neons the handwritten thoughts of my daughter, the questions, um, they're going to 
I hopefully I'm going to make them into neons and they're going to be on top of the images written with neons and they will become universal questions that you can't avoid anymore. And you have to face them because for me, the most scary part about this is that we all know that shit's going down and we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And how can we, how can we leave that pressure on this new generation that they are the ones who have to solve it. They can't like imagine growing up with that on your shoulders. It's literally impossible. You just summed up exactly why this work is so effective because we, we know this about future generations. We know this, that we're not, we're not doing enough, but like the, the fact that it sits on the shoulders of this generation is what really comes through in this work. Like that collaboration really grounds that. And I don't feel like we've seen that before in this context and it just yeah it's I mean it's really powerful I was really moved by it when you sent it to me I think it's really obviously it's really important work but there's something kind of haunting actually about the relationship between text and image which is it, it really speaks to the the harrowingness of the situation honestly like it's it's really it's really great work. And I love that it was, I mean, as I said earlier, you always do this, like, surprise me. Um, <laughs> and I kind of love that as well. Because I think, you know, it's one of those hard things to follow up after a project's been so successful. People start to want you to be one thing. And as I said, like, while this definitely is, the approach is so you and the visual elements of the visual language are there, it also feels like an evolution at the same time. Oh, that's so good to hear. Wait until you see the clitoris project. That's gonna... so, so do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I, I do, yeah. It's, um, it's a bit secret, but it's, it's not so secret anymore. I met this amazing woman called Celine Brockman, who's uh, head of so many things at the university in Geneva, the university hospital in Geneva. And um, she invited me to come to the hospital and to meet her colleagues and her team and the people working there. And kind of because she fell in love with the motherhood book and she was like, I mean, if there's anything you could want, find interesting here, we could do a collaboration, let me know. And she kind of threw me in. And so I met a few people there and there's, there's, it's like a Pandora's box. You open it and it's like pops in your face all over Um, It's the first time that a PhD is going to be done on the clitoris by a very beautiful woman called Maeva Batre. So she she got it. She's doing the PhD. It's everything about the clitoris. So how it's built up, how it's done, how it is. And it, it hasn't been done before, like. They know about the clitoris since the 15th century, but it, it it's always been kind of pushed on the side. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning all of it. Like I've never, I, I knew that it wasn't that little dot in our little vulva, but I didn't know what it was exactly. And now I know how big it is and how, how what it looks like. And, and I've seen like those 3D prints of it. And I'm learning. I'm just learning the whole thing. And also in this hospital, there is the the huge um, center run by Jasmine Abdul Qadir, which is the one of the biggest um, female genitalia mutilation centers. And so she's doing all the the recovery surgery and and education around it and everything. So I'm doing. I'm mainly my my project is about 
this and these people and around them and kind of somehow finding a visual language or like a representation to their findings and what's important for them because it's it's what's really interesting is that an otherwise totally inaccessible knowledge which through my work will be accessible to like the general audience and it's i mean it's it's the 50 percent of the population has a clitoris and anyone who has a class a clitoris it's gonna it's gonna change their mind their their life to just know what it's built off and how it's built and what what its purpose is and what it stands for and i mean to think about sexual pleasure it's a it's an organ that's just as big as the penis and stands for the same sexual pleasure i mean this is going to be epic it's epic is it like a set project is it, are you doing it for like six months or is it kind of ongoing so the phd is like two years i mean i've been there in february and I just applied for a huge foundation. I'm trying to get a foundation to to like finance it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start cheating in September. Oh, I'm so excited. This sounds incredible. It's um, it's huge and it's so interesting. And I, I have a few ideas that I already, because my, obviously what I'm trying to do is um, have a documentation of the, the research process and of the team and of the people having some kind of like personal stories. The actual, the clitoris, the knowing of what the clitoris looks like is important for transgender operations, for the clitoris reconstruction surgeries. And for different like medical things related to the clitoris, but this is like the the medical part of it. So I'm gonna find, and I, I already am in connection with people who have undergone mutilation or who, for example, like in the in the transgender surgeries, it could hugely change the way they do it. And so it's gonna be personal stories, but also, and that's the hardest part for me, is how I can start showing all of this without actually showing the piece of meat that they're cutting in the lab and analyzing, mm-hmm. because I don't wanna do that. So how can you how can you represent it without using the same old techniques of the big white old male photographers of the shell of mm-hmm. you know, like the shell is the the vulva and there you go. That's it. We talked about female sexual pleasure. It's a shell. (laughs) Or an orchid. I mean, not to be funny and go full circle, but this is what I mean about how maybe you are in the right place. The very fact that this project was born from, you know, somebody in science or academia seeing a body of work that you never intended to make because you never necessarily intended to be a parent at that time and how it sets off this it's a catalyst for all these different things. I I hope so. I mean, I really, really, I enjoy immensely talking about this project with people because I started asking my friends, like, oh, can you draw the clitoris? And everyone draws that little dot, you know, like that mm-hmm. little dot you're supposed to massage and then we have orgasm. And then I'm like, oh, hi, do you want to see the real one? <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I love the, the reaction of people the reaction of you know like my generation and my parents generation they're like oh my god is that really inside me and I'm like yes it is it's there and it's been there forever 
Ironically, I can hear the pleasure in your voice of how much pleasure you're going to get out of making this work and talking about it all the time. Exactly. I love it. I oh love my it. God, it's so good. I cannot wait to see it. And and also like you're the perfect person to make something with around those challenges that you were just talking about. I feel like you're so good at thinking about alternative routes into difficult or like hard to reach subject matter. So I can't wait to see. Yeah, me, me neither to be honest because I have <laughs> no idea what it's going to look like but I really really yeah I just I'm really fascinated by finding ways to show it and yeah, to just... make to make academic research accessible through photos so quick five questions how do you deal with self-doubt I don't <laughs> you're in denial of your self-doubt I don't I don't even know um I'm in constant self doubt, so yeah, I don't. You just keep it. going, basically. Yeah. yeah. How did success change your work? It didn't change my work, but it. What I know now is that I have more chances of showing my work, and that's 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 a good feeling because I know I know that I don't have to, I don't have to go through that process of like trying to show my work to people. And what does the practice of art making or photo making enable you to do that if you would have done something else, you wouldn't be able to kind of unravel? Like everything, literally <laughs> everything. I mean, I I would never talk about anything as a human person without creating art about it, you know? Like I just, all the topics and all the, the themes that I'm approaching, they're, they're like insanely taboo. So I guess I would just be hiding behind the facade. And art allows me to to ask the questions and to to raise awareness and and give visibility to things that are otherwise hidden. And is there anything you're currently unlearning, personally or professionally? Um, very honestly, how to deal with a relationship with kids. <laughs> yep. It just that, that's another huge topic that should be addressed in a in another bible i think 100 um, percent. yeah do you think photographs can still change the world or change people's consciousness well i really hope so like really because otherwise i don't know what i'm doing and to finish up, I wanted to ask you the question I ask everybody at the end of the show, and that's what matters more to you, the process of making your work or the final images or the final book? I mean, obviously the process, but now that I've made a book, I really, really enjoyed the the ride with it, like going to the book launches and meeting all the people and talking about it. And, and, and I've never had that experience before because that was always the process and I really thought it was the process. But now I just realized that it shaped it shaped the thought of my work so much, just the amount of time I've talked about it, you know? Like mm. every conversation, every book launch, every situation when I had the chance to talk about the book, it 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 changed it changed me too. And it brought up so many things I was not aware of. So I would say both, to be honest, because it's making it's the process of creating new work that allows you then to shine with the the project that you've done. Thank you so much for talking to me, Andy. It was so much fun to have you on the show. I really am happy about this. And to be honest, it's it's kind of like one of my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at gemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.